WXDX-FM, Pittsburgh. We got a big football game Sunday. Liverpool FC hosts Manchester City. Oh, and the Steelers also play. And that's not going to be easy either for the home team. Let me make a few predictions for the Steeler game. That Jacksonville defense is really good. Best in the league. The Steelers will not score more than 17 points, but 17 points will be good enough to win. I think the Steelers win 17-14 in a game that is every bit as tight as that score. This is the Mark Madden Show, and I am chapped because the weather will likely keep me from going to see Vince Neal in Cleveland tonight, and that sucks. Maybe I should shout at the devil or perhaps the weatherman. 412-333-9939 is the number to call or... Follow me on Twitter at Mark Madden X. A lot of people are underestimating the impact of that Jacksonville defense. And while the Jacksonville offense isn't great, neither is that Steelers defense. It's an odd matchup this game. You got the great offense against the great defense, and you got the crap offense against the below average defense. That Steeler defense is below average without Ryan Shazier, and that's even with that great front three. We got Craig Wolfley in 15 minutes, the all-time Steeler great. But I want to hear how you think this game is going to go, 412-333-WXDX. The Penguins play tomorrow and Sunday, both at home. Uh, Goaltender Casey DeSmith got called up because Matt Murray has some personal issues. Uh, If Murray can't join the team uh, by tomorrow... That puts Tristan Jari uh, back in the barrel. Had a bit of a break. Hopefully that'll get him over the struggles he had before the break. It would really do the Penguins a world of good to win both of these games. That's Detroit tomorrow and the New York Rangers on Sunday, both games at PPG Paints Arena. Get four in a row. That'll be five out of six. And then maybe you're cooking. Uh, Ryan Luther, Pitt's lone basketball player of consequence, will miss the rest of the season with a foot injury, so congratulations to him. But the Steelers game is the main topic. Like I said, if the Steelers score 17 points, they win. And I think 14 might do the trick. Jacksonville's offense won't do much. Fournette has hit that rookie wall. He's only averaging 3.2 yards per carry over his last eight games. It's cliche to say, but the Steelers need to stay away from turnovers. The Steelers can't hand Jacksonville easy points. The battle between Antonio Braun and Jalen Ramsey is going to be epic. Classic. I really hope CBS isos on those two a lot because that will be a battle and perhaps the battle that decides the game. That is the most important matchup. And Blake Bortles is the game's most important player because he has to play way over his head for Jacksonville to win. Uh, By the way, that guy yesterday, Jeff Lagerman, the Jacksonville radio guy, ex-player, good guy, great player, great analyst, but he said Jacksonville never doubled Antonio Bryant in Week 5. 
and he's wrong. Uh, ESPN and Lewis Riddick did some film study, and the video clearly shows that the corners were getting help from a safety in coverage of AB in Week 5 when Jacksonville beat the Steelers 30-9. to uh, We are very confident in the Steelers in this game, and there's no reason to not be, but Jacksonville did whip some butt back in Week 5 at Heinz Field, and history can be very scary. I take you back to the 1994 AFC Championship game when the Steelers were double-digit favorites but lost to Stan Humphreys at quarterback uh, and San Diego. And we all remember 2011 when Tim Tebow in Denver eliminated the Steelers in overtime. This would be a bigger upset than Denver, but not as big as San Diego. In general, we are underestimating Jacksonville. And it's easy to see why, because we're looking forward to the rematch with New England. If the Steelers play New England in the AFC Championship game, the week before that game, starting Monday, will have more hype than the Steelers have had for any Super Bowl. More hype for sure. Has anyone talked to Lev Bell today? Did he get his long-term contract overnight, $15 million per year? I'll talk more about that at 4 p.m. And I got a great soundbite from Colin Coward addressing Lev Bell's misstep in addressing his salary issues right before a playoff game against Jacksonville. Uh, that game between Pittsburgh and Jacksonville back on Week 5 has very little to do with this Sunday. I like when people say, well, Ben's not going to throw five interceptions again. I agree. I bet he doesn't. But what if he throws two? My preferred number is none and no more than one. Like I said, Fournette wasn't tired yet then. The Steelers had Shazier but did not have Gilbert. Like Tomlin said, the only carryover is you can watch film of your guys playing against their guys. But that game happened three months ago. Hey, all the usual cliches apply. The turnover battle, I think the first quarter is going to be important. If Tomlin wins the toss, he should take the ball. The worst case scenario is that Jacksonville takes the kickoff and pulls off a nine-minute drive, which they are capable of, and takes a 7 nothing lead, and the first quarter is just about over. That probably wouldn't happen, but it can happen if you win the toss and take the ball. Again, Jacksonville is capable of that kind of drive. Look at last week against Buffalo. Uh, there's a headline in at thebiglead.com that says, why the Jaguars have a shot at knocking off the overconfident Steelers. But it talks about the Steelers focusing on New England, and that's not the case. I just don't see that as the case after what happened in Week 5. Mitchell talked about beating New England, guaranteed it, but that was kind of pumping up the inspiration of Ryan Shazier in the wheelchair showing up at practice. Uh, the article talks about distractions like Bell with the holdout threat, but fails to consider that the Steelers have dealt with far bigger distractions all year. I do believe Jacksonville could beat Pittsburgh. Don't think they will. I acknowledge that they can but the only way Jacksonville is going to win the game is by winning the game, by beating Pittsburgh. Pittsburgh will not give it away. Up next, in studio, it's the best football talk to be heard anywhere. It's all-time Steeler great Craig Wolfley. He's up next here on 105.9. 
now the super genius, Mark Madden. Hey, what's up, Mr. Madden? Their mouth might say no right now, but in their hearts, they're saying yes, yes, oh yes. The X at 105.9. I'm joined on studio by all-time Steeler great Craig Wolfley. You can hear him on the sideline during Steeler broadcast on DVE. Uh, Wolf, I think the Steelers win this game if they score 17. I think that's what's required. Do you agree, or do you think they'll need more points? I don't think they're going to need more points. I think they're going to get more points. And I think the reason for that is because I look at Ben, and um, everybody looks at this game a little bit differently. Some people look at it as a revenge game. It's a hard game to draw a bead on, isn't it? It is. It is. But you know what? Franchise all-time great quarterbacks, they tend to play big in games where it's not a revenge thing. It's like Val Kilmer. You know when he was in Tombstone and he was talking about Wyatt Earp? He says it's not revenge he's after. It's a reckoning. It's a setting of things right. I think Ben wants to set things right. I, I, I agree with that, and I expect a big game from number seven as well. But the key matchup for me is Ramsey going to cover Antonio Brown man-to-man. How far will that go in deciding who wins? Or if, if A.B. gets rubbed out, can, can the Steelers win with Ben using secondary targets? I think secondary targets going to be... Big. Look, de facto number two receiver really is Lev Bell. I mean, he's he's a guy that's that... That's true. That's true. You know, that's that's what I always consider. But Juju has had, in the absence of A.B., has emerged. And he's got to be somebody now that they can sit and go, you know what, we got to really do something with this guy. But then you got Martavis, then you've got Jesse James, and you got Vance McDonald. And I know that, um, you know, the secondary guys, they could well step up big here. Yeah, I don't think A.B.'s going to get uh, taken out of the game totally by Ramsey, but it wouldn't shock me if he was limited, but because of their concentration on A.B., because they get some safety help, too, no matter what that darn Jeff Logaman says. Uh, <laughs> I-, I think guys could slip through the cracks, So one of those is Vance McDonald, maybe Jesse James, too, the tight end position, but Ben loves McDonald, and I could see him slipping through the cracks and making some plays. He's a guy that I would keep my eye on. I think you're right on there. Uh, one thing about Vance and what I like about him, his, his ability to catch the tuck and get upfield. I mean, this guy can run, and that's the thing that really stands out about him. Jesse's a nice 8.2, catch the ball, fall forward for a first down type of guy, uh, you know, sitting in the, the window zones. But I'll tell you, that Vance McDonald, you're right. He catches the ball, and he can move upfield. Now, like we've talked about, Ramsey will mostly cover Braun. How will Jacksonville deploy Boye, who is also an all-pro cornerback? Well, uh, you know, is it going to be Juju or is it going to be Martavis? You know, I mean, Martavis is still a guy that you got to have consideration for because of the element of his speed. Well, he can wreck you. Juju can can break you down, but Martavis can wreck you with just a couple plays. That's exactly it. So it's really a pick your poison. I'm going to be anxious to see what they're going to do and how they're going to go go about doing it. Because the one thing you always have to remember is it's not just the coverage. It's the mediators up front that are going after it. That's a voracious group up front, as I've talked about before. Matter of fact, I think I said on your show here the last time Jacksonville came or was was in town, yeah, was the fact that this is a group that attacks a quarterback like, oh, if you stuck a leg of lamb in a tank of piranha. They go after it, and they want to strip it to the bone. No no question. They got Calais Campbell with, with 14 sacks. Just just a great group on the pass rush. But the Steelers' offensive line is, we, we think, 100% healthy. Marcus Gilbert did not play in Week 5. I got to figure that makes a big difference. I'm looking. That's the ringside matchup I want to see. I would call that the classic Jurassic Park meat eater matchup. <laughs> you got Calais Campbell, 6'8". 
310, and you got Marcus Gilbert at 66305. I think this matchup is great. I think it's terrific. It's going to be one of those uh, one of those heavyweight bouts. You want to sit front row, and that's where I intend to sit. How much is the running game going to mean for, for both teams? Bell against Fournette. With Fournette not doing much in the second half of the season, Wolf, he appears to have hit a rookie wall. There's something going on there. You're right. I mean, he's only been averaging 3-1, 3-2 over the last seven or eight games. And his longest run has been just 24 yards. Now, is that a combination of the rookie wall? Is there got an ankle that I've heard whispers they've talked about? I don't know. But whatever it is, he's obviously showing a slowdown. You've got some other people in the backfield, like the Chris Ivories. He's a banger. He'll run right at you and run over you. But the fact is it's Fournette, and Fournette is a guy that they they depend on. They're going to go too tight end. They're going to go get a fullback. They're going to go regular people. But they're going to come right at you, and it's a two-fisted ball up and have a go type of situation. And, and, and of course, Fournette is the guy that they really want to emphasize. Well, my worry uh, for the Steelers, like I said, is that Jacksonville takes the kickoff and puts together a nine-minute drive as they are want to do, as they did to beat Buffalo. Then all of a sudden it's, it's 7 nothing Jacksonville. Nine minutes into the game, the Steelers haven't touched the ball, and it sucks the air out of the place. You're right, and what you want to do and what I'd like to see happen is the fact that possibility uh, possibility of being able to turn the tables, and you do that to Jacksonville, and I think that puts a lot of pressure on, on Bortles. It feels like the coin toss matters. Yeah. And I know Mike likes to defer if he wins the coin toss. This game, I'd take the ball. What say you? Well, I would. I, I like the idea of being able to get out there first and put the pressure on Bortles. At the same time, if you would lose and your defense goes out there and, and forces a three and out, you, you've increased that pressure on Bortles. And I like the fact that, you know, the Steelers' offense, I think the Steelers' offense, Jacksonville defense, they, they, they're pretty much they're going to go at it. That's going to, but I think you've got an advantage with the defense over their offense because even without Ryan Shazier, uh, I still think this defense has got a leg up on Jacksonville's offense. We're talking to Craig Wolfley. He's brought to you by 84 Lumber. Well, let's stay with uh, Ryan Shazier being. Absent. Certainly great for the guys to see him at practice yes. a couple times this week. But how will Jacksonville take advantage of Shazier's absence? Because uh, with all due respect to Sean Spence, uh, that's a definite downgrade. Well, it is. And, and there's two ways. One is uh, you got Blake Bortles, the passer, which is, okay, he, he's got issues there. But you got to remember, in his 11 wins, he's got 17 TD passes and three interceptions. In the six losses, he's got five TD passes and ten interceptions. And that's because he had to throw more. Like, like if Blake Bortles has to try to catch up, it's, it's not going to go so no. well. You're exactly right. This is an offense that's built to play even or, or out in front. Now, the thing about Bortles is over his 300 yards rushing he's got, curiously enough, about almost 50% of them, less than 50, but close to it, enough to it, uh, because I flunked math twice, so we'll just roll <laughs> with that. Um, he, he, he runs on first down. He's got, he gained probably 40, 50% of it on first down. So you got to watch him. He's trying to get those short third down windows, makeable third downs where you can roll the chains. Mike Tomlin talked about in the press conference. He gave an example in the second quarter. It's, uh, what, third and seven or eight and, uh, you got Bortles instead of you know incomplete pass or whatever he runs on third down gets just enough for the first down they go on eleven plays more six and a half more minutes of possession and rather than having a, a, a short field you got a long field after they you know they uh, roll out a little bit. One thing I'll say about Blake Bortles he uses being criticized as a weapon. A couple days back he said yeah people say I stink they say LeBron James stinks too. Um, 
it seems like he doesn't put a ton of pressure on himself, and, and that might serve him well Sunday. Well, there's no question. Uh, everything I've heard about this young guy is that he's a fine dude. Uh, he's a guy who lacks a little bit in confidence. He's not had enough success in his experience tank to really get on rolls. And he is streaky, but you know, if he comes out and he goes uh, three and out, maybe the Steelers jump up. Uh, maybe they get a touchdown. Maybe they go for two. They get uh, eight up, uh, you know, eight nothing on them, and then Bortles tries to come back, and maybe you get a pick. Uh, I think things could really go south yeah, for if, him. If you make him play catch up, although conversely, uh, I loved what AJ Boye said about Jacksonville. He goes. We need to get ahead by seven. We're a different team when we get ahead by seven. And I agree because when you're ahead by seven, your defense can pit its ears back a bit, and your quarterback can just manage the game. Well, you're very right in that sense. And, and, and even furthermore about it is these guys pin their ears back all the time. Well, that's I mean, true. Good point. You know, this is 55 sacks worth, $50 million of, of front-end talent that, that put up 55 sacks, and it's led by that Calais Campbell. And his 14 and a half sacks, but he also had 30 quarterback hits. And I got to tell you something. When that dude rumbles by and nicks <laughs> you, that's a hit. You know, I mean, that hurts. Now, uh, Cam Hayward turning to the Steelers line. He got double teamed on practically every snap in week five by Jacksonville and only made two tackles, no sacks, no quarterback hits. How can Cam deal with that? And how does the rest of the front seven have to deal with that? Well, the way you got to do it is, and probably some of the things that you start to do is on run, run heavy downs, you start to run the twist and you get him to free up. You, maybe you're teamed up and you got stuff onto it and you got him p- penetrating and you have a looper like Cam Hayward, which will, will give problems to an offensive line. Now you've got to be able to do that judiciously and you got to know your scouting report and your game planning, the down distance and package personnel formation so that you're not arbitrarily running stunts that tend to go away from the running attack because you know they're going to try to run it down their throats. Now Ben tossed five picks back in week five. What do you think he learned from that? Well, I think uh, number one is you take a look at the, the the tape and it shows you that out of the five picks, really one just one was Ben's fault. You know, right. One time he threw high, but the other times he got deflected. Uh, one time um, Juju got his feet tangled up with a defender. He fell down and the ball, that's an easy pick when a guy goes down. Uh, the other time we had the James Conner stepped up and he didn't get enough of Puzlesny. Puzlesny gets the arm of Ben. It floats out there. So I think I think more than anything, the offensive line and what Ben's going to learn is this offensive line has got to keep it from being collapsed. You got to have an you got to have a nice pocket and you got to let Ben do what Ben does. And that's throw the ball and throw it with great accuracy. And as he's been demonstrated, I don't think. The Ben that's out there today is not the same Ben that was there. In, in I agree. October. In fact, he's that, he that, mounted up. He's different now. Well, that bad game, the five picks became his rallying point. Right. And and, uh, and one thing he, he did in that game, even though, like you said, only one interception was really all his fault, he did try to force some throws that day, and he really hasn't done that since. I think that might have been the lesson learned, Wolf. Well, the lesson learned might include the fact that, you know, Lev, Lev Bell's got to have more than 15 carries. Yeah. You know, you've got to be able to – who can who can ever predict back to back pick sixes? When was the last time you saw that? That's that's unheard of. And well, that so, was a first for Ben, and I'm sure a last as well. Yes, I think that, like you said, that was a rallying point for him. And he, he laid out after the game said, "Ah, eh, maybe I don't have anymore." But that was just one of those things you just throwing that out there. He is he is one of those guys when when you know you've had a poor performance. He's great because he does not stick and hang around with poor performances. He gets going and he takes off, and I think this is what we see from Ben. He is the franchise leader because this is what franchise guys do in playoff time. Now, one last thing about uh, Bortles. 
if you're calling the defensive signals, if you're Keith Butler, do you pressure him? Do you rush four guys? Or do you rush three and drop eight into coverage? I'd be tempted to drop eight into coverage and force him to make reads as opposed to deal with pressure. That would that would have to do in my mind with the down and distance. Uh, certainly, if you're if you're sitting there, uh, you know, second and five, third and five, things like that. Um, you you want to make sure you got four guys in your in your rush lanes. If you start to get taken out of your rush lanes, that's where Bortles just going to take it. Look, you're in a one and done situation. Well, that's true. Yeah. So they're not he, worried he can about. Run. He got good legs. Yes. You know, you got Chad Henney as a backup, and you know you can argue all you want about could he or could he not step in. But the fact is, you got a guy who can run, and you've got to be careful with him because he's a guy. That being Bortles, he showed it before. He showed it last week in Buffalo. He can extend the plays by you know the drives by making first downs with his legs. Is there any chance Pittsburgh is looking past Jacksonville to New England, or did Week Five take care of that? Uh, I think if Pittsburgh had beaten Jacksonville or hadn't played them, then maybe because of the hype that surrounds every time Pittsburgh plays New England. But let's face it, Jacksonville kicked their butt uh, a few months back. I don't know how you put that totally out your mind. You know, I can still remember that uh, one of the kids that uh, I had a little little hat set to when I was like in elementary school. And you know what? I remember that whooping, and I, when I had a chance to even it out, <laughs> it wasn't you know. it wasn't Lawrence Fall, was it? <laughs> no, no, it wasn't. He was a buddy of mine, but uh, it, of course, Lex Luger. Uh, Lex Luger. <laughs> yes, um, but certainly, I will say this: uh, they are looking to even the score, and I think for Ben, as I said before, this is about a reckoning. Yeah, I agree. And when I said seventeen points will win the game. I think they might score more, too. But I don't think Jacksonville's going to score more than, than 14 or 15. That's what I said. I, I I can see this game scoring 28 to 14, something like that. Yeah, maybe and Pittsburgh gets a backdoor cover for those. Yeah, I'm, I'm horrible that. with Yeah, I'm horrible <laughs> with that. But I, I do believe I don't see them scoring more than 14. If, if Pittsburgh holds serve, doesn't turn the ball over, creates for themselves those makeable third downs, and number one, you got to get wins on first down. Four yards or more, you got to do that to take the pressure uh, off that defensive line. That's Craig Wolfley. I'm Mark Madden. Going to talk to John Steigerwald next hour. You're listening to 105.9. And now the super genius, Mark Madden. This is one of those two-chin strap, bring the duct tape type of affairs. What the? They're going to make us play a wild card game. It's not fair. It's not fair. It's not fair. The X at 105.9. Excellent stuff from Craig Wolfley. Uh, I love talking about this game. I do think that the fan base is underestimating Jacksonville a little bit. Let's not forget, these guys went 10-6. and six. They won their division. They've already won a playoff game. Do I think they're as good as the Steelers? No. Do I think they are going to beat the Steelers? No. Do I think they can beat the Steelers? Sure. They can. They beat them pretty bad in week five, but a lot's changed since then. Uh, Good tweet from Rooster. There's zero pressure on Bortles. He's playing that, aw shucks, I'm the worst quarterback in the league routine perfectly. He has nothing to lose, whereas the drama-filled Steelers have dug themselves a hole with their mouths. I don't know that they dug themselves a hole, Rooster. I think they've been distracted so much, they're not distracted at all. I think they thrive in chaos. And the thing Bell said yesterday about maybe sitting out next year or retiring if he gets franchised again, I don't think that affects Sunday's game or result even a little bit. Uh, 
I'm curious to see if Paul Pizlozny plays. The kid from Hopewell and Penn State that plays linebacker for Jacksonville. He's been limited in practice. I always root for Paz. What a great competitor that guy is. I always hope he does well. Maybe not Sunday at <laughs> Pittsburgh's expense. Although when he's in town, he is a bottle shop regular. Autograph picture on the wall and everything. Uh, if any of Yins are too confident in the Steelers heading into Sunday's game against Jacksonville, I posted highlights of the loss in the 1994 AFC Championship game to San Diego. That was at Three Rivers Stadium. The Steelers were favored by double digits in that one. Making the video even more unbearable is the excruciating narration by Chris Berman. San Diego having Barry Bananas Foster for dessert. And I also posted the Tebow touchdown pass in overtime from 2012, the end of the 2011 season. I'm just trying to keep everybody humble. That's on the Mark Madden page at WXDX.com. I want to stay abreast of the developments with the other Pittsburgh teams. Uh, As I mentioned before, Matt Murray has some family issues. Don't know what those are, but we wish Muzz the the best. Uh, So Casey DeSmith's been called up from Wilkes, and I guess Tristan Jari starts tomorrow uh, against uh, Detroit if Murray's not back by then, which I, I don't think he will be. The Pirates avoided arbitration with shortstop Jordy Mercer and pitcher Garrett Cole. Each agreed to a one-year contract worth $6.75 million. Now, that doesn't mean Cole won't be traded. Doesn't mean that in the least. It just means the Pirates were able to avoid arbitration with him. But getting back to football, uh, this is amusing. ESPN.com printed that story about Brady, Belichick, and Kraft butting heads in New England, which didn't reveal anything. And now Bill Simmons wrote this rebuttal. That's just this crazy Boston fanboy gibberish. It's like a seventh grader wrote it in his spiral notebook after his favorite team, the Patriots, got insulted and somebody inexplicably printed it. Uh, Bill Simmons has made so much money. Very creative mind. But take away the money and put Boston sports in the picture, and he's just a small-time Boston fanboy blogger. That is all Bill Simmons is. 412-333-9939 is the number to call. Steelers in Jacksonville. Brian versus Ramsey. Boyer versus Juju. That's one that I think Brian could hold his own against Ramsey. I do. But if they put Boye on Juju, has Juju ever been covered man-to-man by a cornerback of that caliber before? I rather doubt it. Then you go to Bryant, then you, well, it's like Wolf said. Really, right now, the number two receiver is Le'Veon Bell. Uh, Bell expanded on his comments uh, when he said that he was going to sit out all the next year or retire if he got franchised again. 
We'll we'll have some of those comments for you later. Colin Coward talked about him. I'm going to play a soundbite from Colin's show, which is is really good stuff. Colin Coward's the best national sports talk show host there is, period. And I don't believe anybody to be even close. But one thing Bell said, like, here's the thing. Bell shouldn't have said what he said yesterday, not 72 hours before a playoff game. And if Bell thinks he's going to get 15 mil a year over a long-term contract with the Steelers, he's out of his mind. If he thinks he's going to get that from any team, he's probably out of his mind. But here's one thing he said that, that, that rang true, and I'll get the exact verbiage later, but Bell said, if I'm going to touch the ball 400 times a year, I want my long-term taken care of. Can't blame him for that. And between carries and catches, Le'Veon Bell did touch the ball 400 times this year. A little over, as a matter of fact. That is just a ton of touches. 412-333-9939 is the number to call. I got people bitching on Twitter. Did you really have to post that game from 94? Did you really have to post that Tebow touchdown? Like I said, I'm trying to keep everyone humble. How do you think this game's going to go? I said at the top of the show, if the Steelers score 17, they win. But I'm having a tough time getting a true bead on this game. How do you think this game's going to go? 412-333-WXDX. And now the super genius, Mark Madden. What's up, mate? Legalizing something and doing it to the point of being stupid are two different things, stupid. The X at 105.9. Here's the Steelers' injury report. Only one player listed as questionable. It is quite disturbingly Antonio Brown. Now, is that because he's got the flu or because of his bad calf? Mike Tomlin said, and I quote, He didn't participate today. I sent him home with an illness. I didn't want him to get any of the guys that weren't sick, sick. We'll bring him back in the building tomorrow. I don't have a lot of reservations about him from a physical health standpoint. We do need to get him well from an illness standpoint, unquote. Sounds like the flu to me, but uh, you know how you can tell that NFL people are lying about injuries? Their lips are moving. Anyway, Antonio Brown listed as questionable. Two of them Jags listed as questionable. Blair Brown linebacker with a bum ankle wide receiver Jaden Mickens with a whammy in his hammy no quarter brought to you by CW Electrical Services make the switch at CWElectricalServices.com I read another excerpt from that Bill Simmons article where he responds to the ESPN.com article saying that there's a fracture between Brady, Belichick, and Kraft, the New England Patriots Holy Trinity. And Simmons put forth the notion that the Patriots didn't trade Garoppolo because Brady wanted it. They traded Garoppolo because Brady's 40, doesn't hang around the locker room, doesn't stay after practice and work with receivers, doesn't pal around with the linemen. Simmons thinks that the Patriots traded Garoppolo because he was becoming more... Maybe not respected, but a bigger friend of the locker room than Brady was. 
which is absolutely absurd, given that the guy was thought to be a franchise quarterback uh, in reserve and going to assume that man wants Brady retired. But whatever. Bill Simmons is going to do whatever takes heat off the Patriots. And if that sounds better than Brady got Garoppolo traded because he didn't want to look over his shoulder then, so be it. Uh, Stephen A. Smith took a bold stance on the Steeler game. He said the Steelers might lose if Big Ben plays really bad. Wow. I never really looked at it from that angle. Uh, I'm going to talk about Lev Bell at the top of the hour. And I got a, an audio bit from Colin Coward talking about Lev Bell worrying about his salary 72 hours before a, a playoff game. Good stuff from Colin Coward. You'll heal it uh, next hour. Uh, I don't often talk NBA, but but uh, this will morph into hockey talk, believe it or not. The Cleveland Cavaliers got killed in Toronto last night, and LeBron got pissed and said he was pissed, and it's all over Sports Center, all over the internet, and it made me realize the NBA plays it just right. A regular season NBA game means even less than an NHL regular season game. But in the NHL, if a top team loses, the media's like, no big deal. It's just the regular season. In the NBA, LeBron loses, and it's like, oh my God, what the frig is going on? How could LeBron lose by 34? And it's all over the news cycle. That's smart. It's overreaction, but it's smart. By the way, people are assuming LeBron is going to the LA Lakers after the season. I guarantee LeBron don't want to get anywhere near LeVar Ball. Unless LeBron makes the mistake of thinking he can handle LeVar Ball, which he can't. Believe me when I tell you that LeVar Ball thinks him and his kids are a bigger deal than LeBron James. That's absurd, but he's absurd. And believe me when I tell you that he believes that. It's going to snow, so we'll see at all the giant eagles. Get milk, bread, and toilet paper. I'm undecided whether to go see Vince Neal in Cleveland tonight, but boy, it does sound like uh, like too big a risk. You know what else is a big risk? Getting 400 touches without having a long-term deal. We'll talk about Lev Bell in 30 seconds here on 105.9.